If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to what's called the pastoral epistle, written by the Apostle Paul to a young preacher named Timothy. We're in the uh, book of 1 Timothy. In front of you is a Bible. They're new and fresh. We just got them there. You have a pew Bible. It's on page 933 if you want to follow along. For some of you who might need large print, we have that as well. You can pick that up on the back. And for any of you who would like to have a Bible, uh, if you don't have one, we would love to give you a Bible. They're back on our book table. Uh, also, if you want to give one to a friend, you can grab one as well. We would certainly love for you to have one or give those away. John Stott and Saul Cruz. Now, John Stott and Saul Cruz are two heroes of mine, two Christian heroes of mine that have deeply impacted my life, that have deeply impacted my ministry. One I know personally, or I knew personally, he's with the Lord now, Saul Cruz. One I knew from a distance, John Stott, it was a British pastor. He was a pastor of a church called All Souls uh, in, in London, an incredible uh, church. He was also a very good theologian and a wonderful writer. As a matter of fact, I will hardly ever preach a sermon without reading a commentary note from John Stott because I found him to be both really pastoral, but also somebody who dug deeply into the text and and just really was able to study and know God's word. Well, Saul Cruz, uh, he's quite different. He was a teacher and servant of God's word. Uh, he was a young, grew up as a young, poor Mexican boy that eventually became very educated. Uh, and that God used him to be, bring the most incredible transformation to some of the poorest parts of Mexico that I've ever been in. What this man was able to do by God's grace, the way God used him to bring transformation, it was incredible. And both of them have transformed my life. Both of them transformed my ministry. But it's the meaning of these two that I just love. How John Stott uh, actually met Saul Cruz. Saul Cruz is a young, poor Mexican boy, got a hold of a book, one of John Stott's book, called Basic Christianity. And he read through Basic Christianity, and as he read it, God's spirit was working in his life, and he realized, wow, God really loves me. He's for me, and he understood what Christ Jesus has done for him. So he embraced Christ Jesus as his Lord and Savior as a young boy, and he was born again, and his life was forever changed. And then he heard the news that John Stott himself, this preacher from London, was coming to Mexico. He was coming to the big city, and he had to go. He had to go to, to, to meet the man who wrote these words. And so, as a young boy, he walked miles, days, hitchhiked to get to the church where John Stott would be preaching and teaching. He arrived. He arrived on time. He was so excited. He walks in, and here comes John Stott. There's only one problem. John Stott did not speak Spanish. John Stott preached in English. This young boy did not understand English at the time. So he got in a nice pew in the back for a nice siesta. Slept through his hero's uh, sermon. Uh, after the service, John Stott notices him. Probably he stuck out like a sore thumb. Uh, a very dirty, uh, dusty, uh, young Mexican boy asleep in the back. Uh, so he inquired through a translator um, who he was and, and where he's from. And tried to put it together that he realized this boy had traveled quite a distance. And he offered a place to stay. He said, stay with me. Saul tells the story that he was embarrassed. He tried to, tried to pretend he had a place, but here you had John Stott, the great preacher, theologian, 
providing a place for him. So he stayed there. He was surprised to find out that he was actually staying in the same location, same room as this great preacher, John Stott. The one thing about Saul that really embarrassed him was his shoes. His shoes were so worn. His shoes were so dirty. His shoes were, had a lot of holes. I mean, he, it really gave away the fact that he was poor. So he hit him. He hit him under his, his bed. He didn't want John Stott to see his shoes. He said he slept one of the best nights of his life. He slept so well because he had never been in a bed so comfortable. And there he was. He slept. And when he woke up, John Stott was gone to the next uh, uh, ministry outing. But he went to get his shoes. They were cleaned. They were polished. John Stott, when he was asleep, took his shoes and cleaned them and polished them and made them look like new. And, and Saul never forgot it because how can this great man of God, how could he take my shoes and clean them? It started a relationship that's absolutely amazing. They continued in contact with one another, so much so that they would visit. And as Saul grew up, uh, he would go to London and he would study and he would come back and he would minister in Mexico. That John Stott became Uncle John. And Uncle John was an incredible friend uh, and brought transformation to the two of them. What an incredible story. That John Stott would serve a poor Mexican boy by polishing his shoes. That they would become such great friends that he would become Uncle John. One thing is true of all Christians. You read the Bible, all Christians are called to be servants. We are all called to be like our Savior who serves. We're all to be doulosses, servants of the Lord. He's rescued us and he's made us his own. We're to serve our God and serve our neighbors. But the Bible says there's some of you who have unique serving gifts and unique serving abilities. That God has gifted you to serve the bride of Christ. And there's a special office for you. It's the office of deacon. This morning, we are actually in the eighth week of our sermon series, Making Our Way Through First Timothy, a sermon series entitled, For the Flourishing of the Household of God. And as we look at First Timothy, it's an incredible book that really is like an owner's manual. It's like God gave us an owner's manual through the Apostle Paul to Timothy for us, for the church, so that we know how the church should be run. Really through this, we see two things. One is for the church to be properly run. God has given us this incredible book, this incredible letter, this household of God, the church of the living God, it says in 1 Timothy. But not only for the church, for us to properly be run, because Christ is the head, but it's also given to us for the world to be thoroughly one, that we're here for God. Every single one of us, if you are a believer in Christ Jesus, you're an ambassador. God wants to make his message through you. He wants to save all kinds of people. That's an amazing missionary God. He chooses to use us as the primary vehicle. So he gives us his letter for the church to be properly run. He gives us his letter so the world can be thoroughly one. And what we've already learned is that uh, we need sound doctrine. We've looked at the fact that church has got to be built on the solid rock of Christ and his word. We need sound doctrine. But we also need abounding grace so that we don't become edgy. We need to have, be reminded that God's abounding grace saves sinners like us. we got to make sure we're fighting a good fight. We're not fighting each other. We're not just throwing stones at other denominations and pointing out and yelling at them and saying, we got to guys get it wrong here. That we got to be making sure that we are actually fighting for God's glory, the good news of the gospel. We've seen the primacy of prayer. 
that really that a church needs to be just founded on prayer and that primacy of prayer. We've looked at a harder thing of the biblical gender roles when it comes to public worship of, of men and women and how that reflects who God is and what he's given to us. We also have looked at we need godly leadership. And last week, we looked at this office of elder that God has given to us, overseers, shepherds, um, to, to lead his church. Remember, Christ is the head of the church. And this morning, we're going to be looking at deacons, the officers as deacons. Now, we remind you, as I did last week, really important sermon. Really important. For those of you who are going to serve as deacons or deaconesses, extremely important. Uh, but for all of us, we're going to be nominating here at King's Chapel officers soon. Uh, I'll be, I have the privilege of training uh, the officers in the fall, and Lord willing, in January, we'll be installing our very first elders and deacons and deaconesses, and we would love uh, to, for you, each member needs to be involved in this. We need to hear God's word. What kind of person should be this kind of officer? What are the biblical qualifications and stipulations? And young people, I'm hoping you aspire to this role. This is for everybody. Now, let me give you a little bit of a, a, a warning. We're going to go deep. We're going to talk about deacons. And I'm, I'm, I promise you, you're going to say, wow, this text says all this, it does. And there's a lot this morning. And I give you a lot almost every morning, but there's a lot this morning. I'm not going to tell you how many pages of notes I got because you might get up and leave. But I will do my best to be succinct and clear. I really will. This is God's word. And I want to say something else. I've had to study this because I've been in the ministry for about 30 years. And it comes to deacons, we're a non-denominational church. For most of my career, I was a part of a denomination that was very clear who should be officers and very clear who should not be. And now as a non-denominational church, we want to hold to God's word. But we got to make sure that we're digging deeply and making sure, what does it say? And it's very important for us to know who is biblically qualified for this office. Here's what we're going to see. A deacon's role, a deacon's character, a deacon's doctrine, a deacon's track record, likewise, a deaconess call and character, a deacon's household, and a deacon's reward. Now, most of those are just one verse. It's kind of like I told you last week. Paul is writing in almost bullet point form, and this is going to be more of a bullet point sermon, but man, is it rich, is it incredible, is it deep, is it true? So turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, we're going to pick up right where we left off last week in verse 8 and read from 8 through 13. Hear the word of the Lord. Page 933 in your pew uh, Bibles. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first, and let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Women or their wives. What does yours say? We're going to talk about that. I'm going to tell you, women likewise must be dignified, not slanderous, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence. The NIV says great assurance, and I don't think that's enough. Great confidence or boldness and the faith that is in Christ Jesus. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. 
Oh, Father God, may the words of my mouth and may the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. God, the things that I say that are wrong or merely my opinion, may those things fall away and be forgotten. But the things that are said that are true, that contain the good news of the gospel, may your Holy Spirit press those things upon our hearts and minds. Speak through a sinner like me. Give us ears to hear your voice. Build your church here at King's Chapel on sound doctrine. Oh God, may we honor you as we want to honor your word and the work of your Son empowered by your Spirit. And we pray in your matchless name. Amen. I read a story about a church that was looking for a definition of deacons and uh, what is the best definition. And I love what they did. They decided to go to the restaurant in town that has the absolute best wait staff, the absolute best servers, and they called them. And they called the restaurant and said, hey, we want to know about your wait staff. We want to know what do you look for in waiters and waitresses? What do you look for in that wait staff that makes them the best? And really what came out of that response was this restaurant saying, we look for those men and women who will see a need and meet the need without being asked. You know how they are, right? I mean, you know how you go to a restaurant and it's, hey, my, 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 my drink is filled, you know? And things are removed. It's just kind of like, like they see what is going on, uh, they know what is going on, and they respond to it. What a great definition of deacon. Uh, deacon can be translated servant, but it really can be translated, as you break it down, as a waiter. It's one who waits on tables. It's one who serves the basic needs of others. And so when you come to the deacon's role, I want to talk about two things. I want to talk about its origin. It's where do we get this deacon's role from and what its office is. First of all, its origin. In the book of Acts, which is like the history of the New Testament church, and the church is beginning to grow. And watch, as God's church begins to grow, the God's needs, uh, or the people's needs begin to grow as well. The church's needs begin to grow. As there's more people, more needs, and more needs to be done. And that is happening in the early church. They're growing, but stuff is happening. Hit pause. Everybody looks back at the old churches. So look at the old golden days. Everything was great. Let me tell you, it wasn't all great. Because guess what? The early church had people like you and me in it. We had knuckleheads there too, right? And they had their own issues. So we can't look back with all this nostalgia saying, oh, we only need the, the, uh, the early church. We need to learn a lot from them. But we also got to be the church today. Amen? And just make sure that we, we're going forward. So let me read to you a little bit how this office of deacon comes about. Uh, in, in Acts chapter 6, I'm going to read 1 through 6. Now in those days when the disciples were increasing in number, it's so exciting when the disciples increase in number, may God give King's Chapel an increase in number. May we grow, not just through church transfer, that's cool, but when we see people come to Christ. So here they were, they were growing and increasing in number. And a complaint, and a complaint rose, and it rose from the Hellenists. Now these were the people who came to Christ who were Greek, that's Hellenists, right? And against the Hebrews, those who who embraced Christ, grew up in a Jewish tradition, because those Greek widows were being neglected for the daily food distribution. Here's the, the idea. So you have all these widows in need, and they're giving them to the Jewish ones, and they're not giving them to the non-Jewish ones, and they were, they were discriminating in the early church. This is not good. And so the 12, uh, the, these are the apostles, they summoned the full number of disciples and said this. This is interesting. It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. 
Not that serving tables was beneath them, but they had a different call. We got to preach. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and wisdom, who will point to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And then it goes on to say that they, Stephen and others, they appointed, they laid hands on them, showing that they were kind of called to an office. And that is where we see this office of deacon take place. Elders had the primary call to preach and pray, according to this. That was there. Deacons were called, literally, to wait tables. They were called to serve, to serve others. Now listen, this is a noble office. This is a high calling. Oftentimes in the church, I've seen it over and over. Elders respected, deacons not so much. No, 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 no. Look at the life of Jesus. I'm going to read it to you shortly. I mean, those who serve, those are so blessed. So that's where the office origin was. Now the office, uh, what it really is of the role, it's of sympathy and service. Sympathy and service, the service to the church and to the community. Uh, All the brokenhearted. So so in verse 8, it will tell us a little bit about uh, the deacon's character. Uh, If you could look there, it says he should be dignified. Uh, This is really well respected. Uh, I love the fact, although they're going to serve, it matters about their heart. It matters about their character. They shall be well respected. It says they should be men of their word. It literally, I love the ESV translation here. They shouldn't be double-tongued. That's what it literally says. What does it mean to be double-tongued? It means that you're saying one thing to one person and something else to another. You can't be trusted. Which one is it? Speak truth. Tell it to me boldly. Tell it to me clearly. But he says, hey, we need to have deacons. we got to make sure that they're not only well-respected, but they're not double-tongued, that we can trust their word. We can take them at their word uh, when they deal with others. Uh, I love, uh, someone said, uh, a deacon should be able to sell the family parrot to the town gossip and not worry. A deacon should be able to sell the family parrot to the town gossip and not worry. All right, that's a pretty good analogy of not being double-tongued. Then it's going to put two things together. They shouldn't be drunk on wine or money. All right, it's going to be basically say they, should, they shouldn't be given to too much wine and they shouldn't be about a greedy gain. All right, but basically he's saying don't be drunk in the world with too much wine or too much uh, money. Uh, he's basically saying this. He doesn't say don't be a teetotaler. It doesn't say abstain. It doesn't say that you can't have any. Uh, And it doesn't say that you have to be poor. It doesn't say that you can't be rich and have money. It just says this. Money and wine cannot be your idol. It cannot be a handle or an addiction for a deacon. So that is a deacon's character. And then it talks about a deacon's doctrine in verse 9. And I'm going to go a little deeper here because you got to get this. This is really cool. It says that a deacon must hold the mystery of faith. Um, Remember, a deacon is not one. One of the specific differences between an elder and a deacon, an elder is to teach. Uh, A deacon is not. A deacon teaches more with his lifestyle than with an actual office of there, right? But he's got to know. This deacon's got to be able to know. What's his doctrine? He's got to hold on to the mystery of faith. So we wanna, I, wanna, I wanna tell you two things, and I hope you're asking the question, what is the mystery of faith? And who is the mystery of faith include? Those are the first things. First of all is this, hold on to the mystery of faith. What is he holding on to? Well, how do you hold on to a mystery, right? Well, holding on to the mystery of faith is this, there's a mystery of our God. There's a mystery of our God is a true and living God. He's a triune God, a God who's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three persons in one God. 
You know, that, 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 that this, this incredible mystery of a God who is, that the Father doesn't become the Son that became the Spirit. No, there's, there's three separate persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, equal in power and glory, triune God. That's a mystery. There's a, there's a mystery of creation that God tells us that our God spoke it through his word into existence out of nothing. Ex nihilo. God speaks creation to existence. What a mystery. There's a mystery of the person of Jesus, right? And then the person of Jesus, fully God, fully man, not partially God, partially man, didn't become God a little while, then became man, transferred back and forth. Fully God, fully man. That is our Savior. The mystery of the virgin birth, right? Mary, a virgin uh, who, who the Holy Spirit comes upon. And there's a birth. Those are some mystery, mysterious things. A deacon's got to hold on to those. But what this is really saying is beyond this. It's saying, but there's a mystery of things in the past. Especially the mystery of those who had read the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. The mystery of the promises that were to come. The mysteries of, of who's going to emerge to bring salvation. The mysteries that have been hidden. Now watch this. All the mysteries of the old are revealed in the new through Jesus Christ, God's Son. Paul will call it the mystery of the gospel in Ephesians 6, 19. What is the mystery of the gospel? Well, that is in Christ Jesus, all of God's promises are fulfilled. All of them, not some of them. In Christ Jesus, all of God's law is fulfilled. In Christ Jesus, redemption is secured. In Christ Jesus, the promise of old that a king would come to rule over God's people that's better than David, it's come. His name's Jesus. The promise that a prophet would come that's better than Moses, it's Jesus. He came, he spoke as God, not just for God. The promise that a, that a priest would come and all, offer the ultimate sacrifice that's better than Aaron, he's come. His name's Jesus. And not only is he the high priest, he's the sacrifice. What a mystery. It's incredible that all of the promises of the Bible find their yes in Christ Jesus. Listen to Ephesians 6, 19. It says this, Paul writes, And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. But here's the ultimate mystery of the gospel that you can't leave without knowing. The mystery of the gospel is this. People have always wondered, how do I get right with God? What do I got to do? How does a holy God love a sinner like me? And you know that people work their tail off trying to follow that law? They said, maybe I could get righteous by keeping the top 10 commandments. I'm going to try to be a holy, religious, right person. I never can do it. I fall short. But the mystery of this, watch this. The good news of the gospel is the righteousness of God is revealed for, through faith. It's faith that by God's grace, watch this, by God's grace, through faith in Christ Jesus is our Lord and Savior, God has credited it to us, the righteousness of God, more than just the righteousness of man, but the righteousness of God, that in Christ Jesus, his blood shed for us, covers our sins, atones for us, his righteousness robes us, that we are declared not guilty before a holy God, not because of what we do, but because of who we believe in, and that is Christ Jesus, our Lord. Righteousness comes by God's grace through faith in Christ. And that was a mystery. All the Jews were blown away. We're not made right by all the things we do, by all the laws we're trying to keep, by all the rituals. No, those were only shadows. Those only pointed to the real one, to Jesus. 
As a matter of fact, Ephesians 1, 9 and 10, I love this. It says that God was making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his promise, which he sent forth in Christ Jesus as a plan for the fullness of time. Now watch this. The mystery to unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and on earth. Everything is going to be united in Christ Jesus. Well, there was a mystery that they had to hold on to, the gospel. But then they have to ask, well, who does this mystery include? And again, it doesn't mean much to us, but to them it meant a lot. The Jews thought the Messiah was coming for them. Kind of amazed that it wasn't just for them. They thought it was just for them, but no, it was every tribe, tongue, nation, and people. Listen to the mystery. Paul says it again in Ephesians 3, 6. The mystery is that the Gentiles, those uncircumcised people, those people that are Democrats or Republicans or independents or, or whatever, the people that are they're different color, different race, it's for all of us. And the mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, that they got the right same standing as we have, members of the same body, and they are partakers of the promises in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So that is the doctrine, the doctrine that they have to hold on to the mystery of the faith and with a clear conscience. I got to tell you, as I studied through 1 Timothy, the one thing that comes up that's kind of caught me off guard a little bit is how much Paul talks about a clear conscience. And I start going back and looking at all Paul's writings, and he keeps on telling us that we should live our lives with a clear conscience. What is he trying to say here? Not be a hypocrite. Listen, don't, don't say one thing and do another. Your, your actions should meet your words. With a clear conscience, not a seared conscience. Sin will sear your conscience. You know, eventually you sin long enough, it hardens your heart. You don't even care. I mean, sometimes you want to say, well, what's wrong with people? Do they have any conscience at all? No. Sin has absolutely seared it. But with Christians, we are to have a clear conscience. Now listen, we all stumble and fall. And we're not going to be perfect until we see him face to face. But a clear conscience of, of, of striving to live for his glory, confessing our sins daily, embracing his righteousness, and living with a clear conscience. Paul would say, hey, listen, you guys know me. You know I didn't try to steal from you. You, didn't, you know I didn't try to leverage you for my own gain. You, you, I got a clear conscience. I try to tell you about Jesus. A good pastor will have a clear conscience say, I just want you to know about Jesus. I want to leverage what God has given me for you and his glory. And we got to leverage that with our neighbors as well. So a deacon's track record. He's got to have two things, a proven ability and a proven character. It's interesting, it says, let a deacon be tested first, all right? Uh, a deacon should be tested first. We're, we're all called to serve. But if you see somebody who clearly is just doing it and serving, and that's like, man, that person is clear. And we got some people here. I'm not going to point them out, but you can point them out. If I could say right now, point to some people that all you know that they know how to do is serve. And I bet you we'll all start pointing at the same people. And I probably wouldn't have one people point at me. What's wrong with y'all? Um, but really, you should be able to tell. You should have a proven track record. Not only that, a proven character. It's, they said they should be blameless. An interesting word. How did any of us be blameless? We're all knuckleheads. We're all sinners. Well, it's basically we're above reproach. Don't you love the fact that God says, I'm not going to just take somebody that serves. I want somebody who takes, it serves with integrity. I want somebody that has a good heart. Blameless is the best way I could describe that. It's he's without handles or she's without handles. Something in their life, an addiction, an idol that someone could grab and say, man, seriously? Now, again, we're all broken sinners, but blameless is the one who is falling forward by God's grace. So has that proven character. 
Now, verse 11. This is where we get fun. You ready for verse 11? This is the good stuff. Verse 11, likewise, the point is a deacon's call, uh, uh, a deaconess's call and character. Likewise, a deaconess's call and character. Let me read to you again verse 11. It says this, their wives, I'm going to tell you that that's not the best translation in a minute, their wives, likewise, important verse, must be dignified, not slanderous, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let's talk about the call, the word likewise really important. Okay, so here you have Paul talking about officers of the church, and he gives us elders first. And then he uses the word likewise. He uses it as a pivot. He says, likewise, deacons are supposed to be like this. All of a sudden, that same word likewise appears again. It seems to be another pivot. It seems to be a new category of office or officer or woman. It's the exact same structure in the Greek as when it says, likewise, deacons should have. It's the exact same structure. Now, it says in our ESV, their wives. The word wives, gune in the Greek, could be translated women or wives. But I want you to know that in the Greek, the word or the article there is not there. All right? So it does not say their wives. It could say wives or it could say women, but it does not say their wives. It's a nice translation if you want to do that. It makes it easier read. Well, deacons, well, their wives, clearly their wives should be like this. If the, and why, by the way, if it was deacons' wives, wouldn't they put the word there, there? But it's not. So the word there is not there. So then you have to ask the question, well, are they talking about their wives being the elders' wives? Are they talking about the deacons' wives? Are they just talking about wives in general. Well, again, the word wives could be women. I think it's better read women. Likewise, women should have this way. I think it's beyond just a deacon's wife. Why? I mean, people saw this. This to me would give biblical precedent for the office of deaconess. Okay? So this would be women. He's now said likewise. He's pivoted. He's got something new. He's talking about women. Likewise, this is how you should be. And he gives some characteristics of women. Now the question is, well, why didn't he use the word deaconess? Well, I think it's all one office. I didn't think he had to separate that. But again, this is the deep dive that I love doing. And let me hit pause from all this and say, thank you so much for letting me be your pastor. Thank you for giving me the joy of digging in God's word. And when I pray every Sunday before I preach that God, if I got it wrong, don't let him get it. And I got to tell you with this, there's, there's, there's fear and trembling. I mean, I, I could give you the stack of, of my commentaries that will say this, another stack that will say that. But what do we know for sure? What do we know for sure is this, that women were involved in the diaconate ministry. There's no doubt about it. Whether they were the deacon's wives, whether they were just somebody's wives, women were involved in mercy ministry. And they should be. And they should be leading the charge. They're made in God's image. I mean, they have been gifted. And so no matter how one interprets 11, we got to make sure that we um, uh, see that women are involved. And I, here's, here is going to be my stance, that God is going to call um, godly men to be the elders of the church. That men and women, both men and women, who are not elders in the church, and their role is very clearly defined, to, to, to rule and to teach God's body. 
But every other, every other position in the church, both men and women are perfectly called and qualified. Again, if you weren't here earlier, remember, God did not call men to be elders because we're smarter, better. We're not. We're not. Um, he did it to reflect who he is in creation. If you want to know more, you can listen to my sermon two weeks ago. But whatever we have, we see that, that women were involved. So uh, with a qualification uh, for uh, our, our deaconesses, um, they also have to have a character. Um, their character also needs to be uh, well-respected. Um, they need to be Aretha Franklin kind of women. I asked Katie if I could actually say that. Some of you don't know. Come on, help me here. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Find out what it means to me. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. They need to be women of respect. So they need to be Aretha Franklin women. I think she was actually calling for respect on her. But they got to be well-respected women for the, for to be deaconesses. I love this. It says not only that, they have to be not slanderous. Diabolus is the actual Greek word. It's where we get the word devil. And so the devil, the devil was the ultimate slanderer. And it says, all right, if you want to have a deaconess, they got to be well-respected. they got to be the Aretha Franklin, kind of R-E-S-B-E-C-T. Uh, they have to be, make sure that they uh, are not slanderous. Uh, they need to be sober-minded. This, this means more than just uh, sober from alcohol or drugs. This means a sober mind for sound judgment. And then they say this really easy little qualifier, faithful in all things. Good luck. But they got to be faithful and true. And the big matters and small matters. Why? Because deaconesses and deacons will get into people's lives when they're broken. And they'll get in and they'll see behind the scenes. And we got to make sure they're not slandering. And we got to make sure they're not judging. And we got to make sure that they're loving and kind and merciful. Uh, we got to make sure that they are sober-minded, not judge, just judgmental. That they're well-respected. I'm telling you what, in ministry, when someone invites you in, it's an honor. When you get to see someone's real life, it's an honor. And we all want to hide. We all want to fake it like we're not all broken, crazy messes. Let's get over it. We are. Um, but Jesus is sufficient. They got to be faithful in all things. Then we got, I want to give you a couple biblical examples. You have Dorcas in the book of Acts, uh, Acts 19, 9, I'm sorry, Acts 9, which is Saul's conversion, actually. Verses 36 through 42. I'm just going to read it, verse 36. Now there was a woman in Joppa, a disciple named Tabitha, which is translated means Dorcas. She was filled of good works and acts of charity. Man, she was a deaconess. I mean, holy, holy cow. This is what she was doing, this woman. Uh, then there's this woman, Phoebe. And to me, this is the icebreaker. This is, this is the drop the uh, mic. Phoebe in Romans 16.1. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church of Sincerea. And when it says a servant, guess what the Greek word is? A deaconess. Right there in the Greek, in the early church, we have a woman called a deaconess. Interestingly, let me, get, let me step outside the Bible and tell you another interesting tidbit. There was a Roman governor named Pliny who wrote a letter to an emperor, Trajan, if I'm pronouncing it right, in AD 112. Think of AD 112. That's pretty early church that wrote that the church has women deaconesses. The outside world recognized this office of what they were doing. So God bless you. Um, not only that, uh, we have likewise the deaconesses call and character and biblical examples. We see a deacon's household. 
there's another pivot and shift. He kind of comes back to the men and says, you've got to be a faithful husband, the husband of, of, of one wife. Remember, it doesn't mean that you have to be married. It doesn't mean that you're disqualified as a widow. Uh, if you are a lover of one wife and faithful and loyal to your wife, that's the qualification. You've got to manage your household well. You've got to be a good father. Are you a good father who manages things well? And then a deacon's reward, lastly. You'll be respected by people. Uh, the deacons will have good standing for themselves. They'll earn respect. But more importantly, you'll be bold for Christ Jesus. I don't like the NIV here. It says you'll have assurance in your faith in Christ Jesus. It's more than that. This is going to be like, you want to serve the Lord? You want to be an officer, a deacon and deaconesses? You're going to see God work. And you're going to see God do things that you didn't see before. And it's going to give you boldness. And you're going to say, man, this Christianity, this gospel stuff is real stuff. And it's going to change the way you live your life. Boldness for Christ. You want people who are bold for Christ, talk to them about their experiences in Christ. And they'll tell you that God shows up. God works. God is real. It's their life. And they have gain in God's eyes. All right. But let me show you behind the gospel curtain, the truth. That's the deacon. We've talked about elders. But can we talk about Jesus for a minute? Because you know something about Jesus? He's our true elder. You want to know what an elder is? It's Jesus. Let me read to you 1 Peter 2, 24 and 25. And 25 is the verse, but I want you to hear 24. He himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree, the cross, that he might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed, quoting Isaiah 53. Such good news. But then he says, For you were straying like sheep, but, now, but have now returned to the shepherd, elder language, an overseer, episcopos, the overseer of your souls. It's an elder. You want to know who the true elder is? It's Jesus Christ. He's the true head of our church. And by the way, you want to know who the true deacon is? A true deacon is Jesus as well. Listen to Mark chapter 10, verses 43 through 45. There's an argument that broke out with the disciples who could be the greatest. And Jesus is like, you're all knuckleheads. It's not about being greatest. For whoever would be great among you, watch this, must be your servant. Think of the upper room and washing their feet. And whoever would be first among you must be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man, our Savior Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve. He came to be a deacon, diakonos. That's what it says right here. And to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus came to serve, to serve us. It should be beneath None of us to serve each other. He gave his life as a ransom of many, but God has raised up some to lead the charge. I want to give you this diagram real quick of where we're going to go with King's Chapel now that you've heard this. King's Chapel, Chapel officer in leadership positions. And again, uh, there's more uh, that's coming here. Do you guys have this screen? Okay. Uh, first of all, elders. We're going to have elders who are called, qualified, godly men who will shepherd, teach, and oversee according to Scripture. We're going to have something called Women's Ministry, Women's Council, which I'm calling KCWC because I love acronyms. Um, and these are mature women of God who meet with the elders and provide godly insight and uh, wisdom to help the elders oversee and shepherd the flock. There are those of you who God's going to raise up that kind of come alongside the elders because why? We need the perspective of male and female. Why? Because he gave to both male and female 
the call to be fruitful and multiply and have dominion over the earth. So we're going to have a women's council. Um, not only that, we are going to have, I think we might have just crashed. Did we just crash? Okay. Um, we're going to have deacons, um, the qualified godly men who serve and minister to the church and the community, according to 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13, and Acts 6, 1 through 7. And we're going to have deaconesses, qualified, uh, called godly women, according to 1 Timothy 3, 18 through 13, especially verse 11 and Romans 16, 1. Would you prayerfully consider what God has for you? Which, which, which office is God calling you to? And maybe for some of you, he's not right now. Here we go. It's back. Lazarus. I'm, that thing usually crashes at least once, once, once a week. I know we got to go. I know the time is up, and I want to hear PJ and Scott sing one more time. But l- let me just say, what a great place we worship in. Isn't this not beautiful? But you know that volunteers come every week and have to figure out what do we have for our sound how do we make sound in this building? How do we take all their stuff and make our stuff work? How do we stream it? For those of you who are watching, blessings to you. I want to say thanks. Thanks for all the volunteers. It's volunteers that make this happen. Pretty cool, isn't it? God's doing something here in this church. Let's be faithful to his word. Let's, let's build this church for his glory. He's the head of it. Let's make sure we have godly leaders that are leading us. Uh, amen? All right, let's pray. Father God, thank you for this incredible challenge of for the deacons. God, one thing I know about King's Chapel, I could probably identify six or seven right now. Man, it's so clear. It's interesting, when you talk about elders in your word, and you describe an overseer, an elder, it's singular. But when you talk about deacons, it's plural. Uh, And I love that fact, because it seems like we need more than just a couple. Um, And God, you've already blessed us with servants. We already see them. Every week, this place becomes King's Chapel. And it's awesome. And I'm so grateful. God, may your Holy Spirit press upon us your word. May we all be servants of Christ Jesus. May we all serve our neighbor as ourself. May we all live for your glory. And oh, Holy Spirit, please build King's Chapel and please build this place with godly leaders for your glory, for the glory of our great God and for the good of our neighbor, we pray. Amen.